Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We have a very special guest on today's show, Mordecai Venunu. A man who in October of 1986 disclosed to the Times of London that Israel had a secret nuclear weapons program in Damona near the Negev Desert. Vanunu had worked there as a technician, and after going public with this secret that Israel did not want to let uh, see the light of day, he was kidnapped by Mossad agents taken to Israel in a shipping crate, tried for treason and espionage, under extraordinary security, convicted and sentenced to 18 years in prison. Mr. Venunu walked out of prison on April 21st of last year, and we're very pleased to bring him to the KDVS listening audience today because he has quite a story to tell. Someone who did what he thought was right, paid a very heavy price for it, and indeed, in a hearing next week, risks being sent back to jail for violations of his uh, terms of, I guess it is, parole in, in, in Israel. One of these conditions is that he not talk to the press. He, in the meantime, has talked to the BBC. He's talked to Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! And now he's talked to us as well, making us a part of his story. We speak to Mr. Venunu in our second segment today in Israel. But let us do some of our usual fare on this program in the meanwhile. Starting with on this date in history, on this date in history in 1815, Mount Tambora erupted in Indonesia. It was the most explosive eruption in the last 10,000 years, making a crater five miles across. 49,000 people were killed, and an ash cloud caused a year without a summer around the world. It was remembered in northern countries as 1800 and froze to death. On this date in 1891, the American showman Phineas T. Barnum died in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Gravely ill, the 81-year-old showman requested that the New York papers run his obituary before he died so he could enjoy reading it. The papers obliged. On this date in 1954, President Dwight D. Eisenhower coined one of the most famous phrases of the Cold War when he suggested that the fall of French Indochina could create a domino effect in Southeast Asia. And in 1966, a hydrogen bomb, which had fallen off an American B-52 a few months earlier, was found intact on the Atlantic seabed off the coast of Spain. And I think we gotta throw in a couple notes from the funny pages from Rita Rudner. Men are sensitive in strange ways. If a man has built a fire and the last log does not burn, he will take it personally. Countered with Rodney Dangerfield. 
My wife wants Olympic sex. Once every four years. And some questions from the feedback section of New Scientist magazine a couple weeks ago, wondering about product warning labels. It was noted, of course, the Tesco baby stroller instructs English speakers with the classic, before attempting to fold the stroller, fold the hood, comma, remove your baby from the seat. But instructions in French, German, and Spanish do not bestow this advice, causing new scientists to wonder if citizens in these nations care less about their babies being squashed or if they're credited with being more intelligent. Well, uh, someone did a follow-up, looked at some Chinese-made swim rings, uh, noticing that uh, there's different warning labels in English depending upon where they're being marketed. For the British, there is warning only to be used in water in which the child is within its depth and under supervision. But for the Australians, the translation into strine was a little bit more robust. Flotation toy, warning, use only under competent supervision. But naturally, for the people of the U.S., there's more. Caution, this is not a life-saving device. Do not leave child unattended while in use. Never allow diving into this product. Never leave in or near the water when not in use. Only use in water. Follow these rules to avoid drowning, paralysis, or other serious injury. I guess you can draw your own conclusions about uh, the different nations, but we would note, again, for the record, that America, although it has only 4% of the world's population, does contain 80% of the world's lawyers. But the one that gets me, only use in water as opposed to gasoline? And let's quote a bit from our good friend Tom Burka from OpinionsYouShouldHave.com or TomBurka.com, noting last month in his headline, hardly tortured anyone who did not deserve it, officials say. The previous item report in the news had been the State Department detailed an array of human rights abuses last year by the Iraqi government, including torture, rape, and illegal detentions by police officers and functionaries of the interim administration that took power in June, causing Tom to follow up with, The U.S. report on human rights violations throughout the world lauded the interim Iraqi government for as scrupulously respecting human rights as the United States during 2004. The report noted that, quote, in certain areas, unquote, the Iraqi government had even exceeded the standards set by the United States in that the Iraqi government hardly waterboarded anyone and pretty much refrained from building human pyramids of any kind. Said Harold Glipner, a State Department spokesperson, the Iraqi government only raped and tortured individuals who were either suspected to be insurgents or were wrongly thought to be insurgents. We were very pleased. We need to get Tom back on the show sometime soon. And we received an email from uh, Roger Peterson, where Roger forwarded the following. I've been compelled by recent events to prepare a more detailed advance directive dealing with end-of-life issues as follows. In the event I should lapse into a persistent vegetative state, I request medical authorities to use extraordinary means to prolong a hellish semi-existence. Fifteen years worth, for starters. I want my wife and parents to engage in a bitter, protracted feud, depleting their emotions and bank accounts. I wish that my wife spoils the rest of her life by maintaining a vigil at my bedside. 
I'd be jealous if she waited less than a decade to start dating again or rebuilding a normal life. I would hope that my case is turned into a circus by losers and crackpots from all over the country. I want strangers, oily politicians, maudlin news anchors, etc., to start calling me Raj, as if they'd known me since childhood. I want Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist to make a mockery of his medical degree and misrepresent details of my case in ways that boost his 2008 presidential chances. I'd also want Dr. Frist to guess on my prognosis based on old video snippets. And finally, since I'm sure that Jeb Bush is the wisest human being on the face of the earth, I want any and all of the aforementioned directives to be disregarded if the governor disagrees with them. I think that's about right. We, we thank Roger for that. And in what uh, must surely be a follow-up to our talk last week with UC Berkeley professor Dr. Ignacio Chapella and the documentary, which I hope you did take in, either at the Crest Theater in Sacramento or here in, in Davis, uh, the documentary The Future of Food from Jerry Garcia's widow, Deborah Coons Garcia. We have the following from David Whitney of the Sacramento Bee's Washington Bureau. As farmers turn increasingly to proven hybrid plants to increase yields, the rich genetic diversity of food crops is turning to dust. A report by the University of California Davis Genetic Resources Conservation Program warned, unless there is a more intensive effort to preserve the diversity that remains, scientists may not be able to develop crops that can fight tomorrow's pests and pestilences. The question is whether crop diversity itself will continue to be available for, to this and future generations said Calvin Qualset, Interim Director of the University's Agricultural Sustainability Institute. Qualset appeared at the Congressional Briefing Monday to discuss the report and promote greater U.S. investment in the Rome-based Global Crop Diversity Trust, seeking to raise $260 million for an endowment to support struggling food crop gene banks around the world. Now, apparently, in many places, just simply not having, you know, in, in impoverished countries, just having reliable power for freezers is a major concern. It's been noted that many gene banks are losing materials that are irreplaceable because they no longer exist out in farmers' fields. Corn, for example, existed in hundreds of variations around the world, and some of those varieties were more successful at resisting diseases or pests than others. But as farmers have turned increasingly to relatively few hybrid plants developed to improve yields, the broader gene pool has shrunk. Now, we, we talked about this last week with Dr. Chapella, but it's worth, I think, mentioning again. Because as this article notes, the need for the gene base was highlighted in a current fight against a windborne fungus. This, this year is estimated to cause as much as a billion dollars in U.S. losses in its soybean crop. Scientists have screened, screened 16,000 soybean varieties at U.S. gene banks so far, but have found nothing useful de for developing resistant plants to this fungus. An example of why we need this kind of technology came from Calvin Qualset, describing how uh, during the Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s, he was able to obtain seeds from 11,000 varieties of wheat that had been carefully collected in Iran during the 1920s. About 8,700 wheat strains were cultivated from those seeds, and uh, he and other UC Davis researchers discovered that there were plants in there resistant to Russian wheat aphids, various rusts and viruses, and yet they were tolerant of high soil salinity. 
This is the raw material that uh, agriculture needs for the future, and uh, it's one of the fallouts of modern agricultural processes and, and, and these high-yield uh, genetically modified organisms and other hybrids uh, that are just wreaking havoc with the natural bank of genes that should be available to future generations. This is, a, this is an important issue, and we're going to keep, um, keep returning to it on this show. And uh, from New Scientist, uh, uh, 19th of February issue, there was much thought they could use genetically modified potatoes that would have like the hepatitis B vaccine injected into the DNA. Well, they've decided they don't want to produce potatoes that can act as vaccines because of fears that vaccine-laden fruit and vegetables might be confused with normal produce with potentially dangerous consequences. While this idea of heat-stable oral vaccines still has some potential, they've decided it's much better to put vaccines in non-food plants, such as relatives of tobacco. And that's probably sensible. In a related story about uh, genetic diversity, it's been found that uh, tropical forests ravaged by logging will recover, but the new growth will probably be much less genetically diverse than the original um, rainforest. A study of 20 hectares of forest in Costa Rica that was cleared for cattle ranching in the 1960s but has been left to recover since 1978 shows that uh, the DNA fingerprints from, from individuals out in the forest of the mature trees found that just, you know, they'd pretty much been produced by a couple of, uh, of trees that, that started it all. And of course, having left less diversity out in the forest means the plants there will be more subject to uh, attack by various uh, predators that um, you know specialize in attacking those plants and adapt to it. It's a constant battle of you know uh, the predator versus the prey, even in the plant world. And you know you want to have more diversity there. And a Consumer Reports magazine is battling it out with San Francisco's Sharper Image. Corporation, after Consumer Reports said that the popular Ionic Breeze uh, model of air purifier emitted unsafe ozone levels and uh, called the model not recommended. The magazine rejected claims by the makers of the product that they eliminated unwanted pollen, dust, and other airborne irritants, and they noted the higher-than-recommended ozone emissions can cause people with allergies or asthma to have trouble. I don't know what to think about these air purifiers. They seem to be a huge fad. Um, I don't know. I don't know enough to really render a judgment on this, but I do know when I was a student at this fine university and worked six summers, as I did over at the Hunt Wesson Cannery out on Covell, we installed an ionizer to, um, to control the measuring out of flour. That was one of my jobs as condiment clerk to weigh out large batches of flour. And in doing so, the flour would spread all over the factory. So we installed an industrial-sized ionizer in the room, and uh, the results were dramatic. The the fine particulate uh, cloud that would normally spread all over the plant now confined itself to the weighing-in room, and the the, the, the particles of, of um, flour would basically stick to the wall, stick to the floor. They just didn't spread like they used to. So I know, I know they work, because I've seen it. But I have to confess that, you know, a, a quarter century later, I still don't know how they work, and I'm still a little bit mystified. If someone out there knows how, uh, how these air ionizers work, uh, please send us an email to info at radioparallax.com. And, and if you do that, we'll... We'll read it on the air. 
And something else I'm I'm not sure that uh, you know what's really going on with is the situation involving hydrogen cars. We reported on this program about watching Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger pull his hydrogen Hummer around the corner here on the UC Davis campus and then fill it up. And I've noted on this program that, you know, if he'd used a hydrogen Honda Civic, he'd probably get 150 miles per fill-up instead of the 50 that the Hummer gets. But something's up with hydrogen. If George W. Bush likes it, if Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger likes it, and now if Arch-Republican Representative John Doolittle likes it, well, I just... I'm tending to doubt its true green potential and, uh, uh, frankly, smell a rat. Some, something is up. You can get hydrogen lots of ways. My understanding, a part of the problem is you can get it from, from water through electrolysis, through, through solar power, through electricity, and water will generate hydrogen and oxygen from the H2O. You know, turn H2O into H2 and O2. But that the hydrogen we're using now comes from the oil industry, from uh, from refineries. It's a byproduct of, of the breakdown of, of oil, crude oil. Again, uh, if you know something about this topic, that's another one to send us some information on to info at radioparallax.com. We, 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 we really do get some wonderful emails from you, the listening audience, and uh, here's two that we, uh, we like some help on. So um, send us what you know. And actually, feel free to send us, uh, you know, email on, on any topic, anything you hear about on the show, anything you'd like uh, to talk to us about, you know, whether you want to hear more from our producer, Edward McMillan, who's who's not getting enough airtime, uh, uh, you know, at the mic. Well, yeah, yeah, sure. Just, you know, send us a mail. You know, I want to talk more about our governor's many emergencies and also about the recent, uh, you know, intelligence failures cited in the intelligence capabilities of the U.S. regarding weapons of mass destruction commission. We must defer that to our third segment today. Let's uh, let's return and talk about and to Mordecai Venunu and about his remarkable story. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Mm-hmm. 